Good morning, church. Good to see you all here this morning, and uh, good morning to our online community. Thank you for joining us online, and especially from Conroe, Texas. Thank you for tuning in as well. How are we doing? Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to give you a little update. So, um, Shelby, you all know Shelby, um, and Luke, who's usually here, um, they're minutes away. I use that term broadly because they're probably days away, but it's still, it's still minutes um, away from uh, giving birth to their first born, and so it's exciting day. I think the actual due date's Thursday, so actually be praying for them. Um, so yeah, the big day's coming up. Now, here's the deal. If you ask Shelby, primarily, Luke, I guess, but primarily, uh, giving birth is not about one day. Giving birth is a process, as we all know, of nine months, right? I mean, it starts with the body changing, and it starts with feeling sick, and then transitions into feeling better, and that's a relief. And then you got the kicking, and then you got the punching, and then, then you got the hormones, and, and then you got the uh, eating for two, um, limitations, all that stuff. And so it's much more than the big day, right? It's a process, right? And I would argue that most things in life are a process. They might culminate with the big day, you graduate from college. Okay, it's a big day, or high school, big day. But there was a process to get there of attending classes, doing tests, quizzes, all that kind of stuff. Another big day, wedding day, big day, you get married. Well, there's a process to getting married. There's a, there's a process of a relationship that is building over time to where you finally make the decision to get married. Not, not to mention the planning of the wedding and the money in the wedding and all that. So yes. It's a big day, but there's a process to get there. There's another big day that scripture talks about that we're supposed to be involved in, and that is making disciples. Leading people to saving faith in Christ to where the big day, they've put their faith and trust in Jesus. But much like everything else in life, there is a process to get there. And I think the more you and I understand that process, because by the way, it's our commission. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said to his disciples, go and make, all, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Doesn't tell us how. Doesn't tell us about the process. You just say, go do it. And you know, when you get there, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out kind of thing. Now you've been with me for three years, so you kind of understand the process but go and make disciples. So we're called to do that as Christians. We're called to do that as a church. And arguably, if we don't understand the process, it can be very confusing. Like not understanding the nine month of pregnancy. You're sick, oh no, what's going on? Well, that's part of the process, right? So the more you can understand it, the more we can participate in it, and I would hope be encouraged to do so. I've entitled this morning's message, Make Disciples. And we're gonna do some understanding in the process 
of evangelism. And look at some insight we find in John chapter 6, verses 41 to 51 here this morning in our study through the Gospel of John. Now, just ask yourself here this morning, what are your thoughts when you think of evangelism? What are your thoughts when you think of your role in making disciples? Often they're intimidating, um, confusing, frustrating. And if we ask ourselves, how much do we even participate in this process, although we may not know exactly what it is? We might say rarely. And I would argue it's because we don't know the process. That if we understand the process, and so I hope this morning's an encouragement for you in the process, that maybe it relieves some of that confusion, some of that intimidation. And so we're going to be looking at Jesus as he engages in evangelism with a crowd. Now, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know this crowd is politically motivated. They have an agenda that isn't Jesus' agenda, and he's correcting them along the way. He fed 5,000-plus people in a miracle, and they wanted to make him king and take the hill and remove Rome and be their political figure, and we know that he didn't. And so the last couple of weeks, we talked about politics. Sigh, breath of relief. We're not going to talk about it this week. Maybe that's just me. <sighs> okay, I'll do that. Um, but anyway, all that to say... Um, he's having some discussions with them and very powerful ones, like by way of review, he talks to them because they're like, why should we believe in you? You know, do some manna stuff, do some Moses stuff because that's what we've been taught. The Messiah is going to mirror Moses. And Jesus said to him in John six thirty five. Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's not talking about physical hunger. He's talking about spiritual hunger, spiritual thirst. And then he goes on in verse 40, he says, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. These are all passages we looked at prior. So he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about judgment day, the last day, the resurrection, the Christians will experience. So these powerful discussions, these powerful ideas, and the response of the crowd is told to us in verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now Jesus said this multiple times. Okay, You and I know it's a metaphor. He's not, he's not bread baked in an oven, right? It's a metaphor for this life-giving role that Jesus has, spiritual life, by the way, and that he was sent, or, yeah, I mean sent. Uh, it was God's redemptive plan to provide Jesus for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right, from heaven. Um, and, 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 and so they're grumbling about this. They're like, oh, what, what does that mean? I don't even understand that. You know, Exodus style, right? Exodus 15, Exodus 17, Numbers, right? The Jew, children of Israel, what did they do in the wilderness with Moses? Grumbled. 
oh, you know, this man, it's getting kind of boring. You know, I'm 10 years into this. Can't we have some variety of food? Where's the meat? You know, you know, and then this water's kind of polluted. Can't we have the good water? And da, da, da. You know, why do you bring us out here? You know, why don't you just send us back to Egypt? We'll die there. At least we're dying, you know, with some comforts out here in the middle of nowhere. And I'm dodging snakes every other foot, you know, so that's what they were doing, grumbling. And then they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Wait a second. Came down from heaven, bro. I know where you grew up. I knew one of your brothers, Simon. You know Jesus had four brothers, by the way? Yeah, okay. Simon, Judas, Joseph, and James were told in Matthew's gospel. And sisters, by the way. Jesus coming down from heaven. I dated his sister. We don't know, right? It's like, what's, what's this guy talking about? I know his dad, Joseph. He passed away last year. Great carpenter, though. He built the cabinets in my house. And he came down from heaven. What? Right? You can imagine. They're, they're sitting there. This is, what, what's he doing, you know? Is, is he lost it? Makes no sense to me. I don't understand. And so what do they do based on their understanding? They grumble. That's interesting. They didn't ask for clarity. They didn't ask for more insight. And their perspective, Old Testament perspective, because they're Jews, they don't have a New Testament, did not register with this They're picturing him floating down from heaven and they're, no, he grew up in Nazareth. And so they're not buying it. They're rejecting it and they're grumbling over it. So what do we get here? Now don't forget, the evangelist is Jesus, right? So if there's anybody that can kind of answer all the questions, Vet all the push, you know, all the misunderstanding. Um, not be frustrated. It's Jesus. And it's still rejection. So what does this tell us? This is something very important to understand when we're talking about the process of evangelism. Number one on your outline, expect pushback. Expect pushback. Expect people to disagree with your perspective, your opinion, your gospel. Here's the problem. If we gauge our effectiveness based on pushback, we'll stop immediately. We did something wrong. They didn't accept it. I didn't have the right answer. I must not be good at this. Leave it for somebody else. Because that went nowhere, right? you're expecting a better response than Jesus would get. In fact, Jesus promised this to the disciples in Matthew, or John 15, later on in the, in the gospel. Remember the word that I said to you. He's talking to his disciples. A servant is not greater than his master, and if they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. Oh, and if they keep my word, they'll also keep yours. 
So you get some that are gonna accept it and you're gonna get some that are gonna reject it. It's part of the landscape, it's part of the process. And if you think you can go through pregnancy and never get morning sickness, well, good luck on that one, right? I mean, that's what he's basically saying. It's gonna be frustrating. And if you think it should be one and done, and if I'm not accepted, then I'm out, you're setting a higher standard than Jesus experienced. Doesn't that encourage you? Because you might be the person that says, all I ever get is pushback. It never works. Oh, it does. It's just gonna take time. And this is the dynamic, right? This is the dynamic of our perspective and worldview. I remember in, in, um, in seminary, um, my focus was on preaching, so we, that was the lane I was going down. And um, we had a sociologist come talk to us. My mom was a sociology professor, so I, I kind of grew up with societal thinking and how groups of systems of people work together and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, remember, I, I remember what she said other than this. If you're preaching every week, to a crowd of people, I don't care if they're believers or non-believers, you're confronting their worldview with God's view, hopefully. And if the two go together, immediate acceptance. If they don't go together, pushback. Why? Because people don't easily let go of their worldview. Their worldview has come to this place. You're, you're, every one of us in this room is at a place in life where we hold truths that we believe to be true. Those are based on how we are raised. Those are based on personal experience and understanding and the school of hard knocks to where we all have that. Now, if I present something that challenges that and potentially says, you're wrong, your response isn't gonna be, huh, guess I was wrong for the last 30 years. Okay, good point. Not gonna happen. There's gonna be pushback because you're gonna to have to prove it to me because I've come to this place that I know to be true and now you're saying it's not. So I'm not gonna easily let go of that. So it was obviously in the seminary classes, like, so don't be frustrated if people disagree with you, people don't accept what you got. Just, that's part of the landscape, that's part of the process. In this case of discipleship and, and learning what it means to follow Jesus, for a non-Christian, learning who even Jesus is and who he claims to be. Because I guarantee you, out in that landscape, I mean, you can find them, but it's probably not in our landscape. It's probably deep in some jungle somewhere. Most people have heard of Jesus and have a perspective that they hold to be true. Does it line up? Who knows? If it lines up, then you get the amen, right? Oh, yeah. And it's like, otherwise you get, hmm, I don't know about that. It's interesting, because it's this dynamic also that causes people to leave churches. All of a sudden they hear something or experience something they don't agree with. They're gone. Don't take time to clarify, don't take time to ask questions, don't take time to say, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with this, can we talk about that? No, gone. Why? 
Very rarely it's based on Bible truth. It's based on a personal experience. It's based on a, a feeling. It's based on whatever that goes against a perspective and a world view. That's why children are super easy to teach about Jesus. And you can talk to them about the Lord and they just go, uh-huh, because they have no worldview yet. It hasn't been established yet. There's no foundation yet. And that's why Proverbs 22 says, train a child in the way they should go. And if they depart, they'll come back. Why? Because that worldview has been established. It sticks with them. So, The dynamic comes into play all the time. It doesn't have to be about Jesus. It could be about anything, right? You see it online, you see it in social media. You think if you got a better argument, they're just gonna go, you know, you're right. They're not, why? Because it's challenging their worldview and it's gonna take a lot to change it or let it go. And so these Jews had that. Uh, No, he's claiming stuff I ain't buying. Because what I know to be true is he grew up in Nazareth. Well, they're missing the whole metaphor. Come down from heaven like he's just floating. He's not saying that. But their perspective says that's what he's saying because we have had food float down from heaven based on our experience, right? This is why the more we can accept pushback as being part of the process, the better we'll stay in the process and be more effective of making disciples. Remember, it's always better to understand than be understood. Love that statement. Let me say it again. It's always better to understand than be understood. It's always better to understand and listen and ask questions versus trying to be understood and convince. Because a lot of times it's this. But anyway, that's, I digress. Back to our text. So Jesus answered them in verse 43. Do not grumble among yourselves. Stop the ram ram, okay? Just stop it. And listen, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Oh. And I will raise him up on the last day, the one that comes to me. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Did you see see what he just did? It is written in the prophets. What do the Jews accept? Prophets. So he's now attaching to their worldview. They accept the prophets. Okay, so you don't believe me. Let's go to who you already believe, the prophets. Many people think he was quoting from Isaiah, who's a prophet. Isaiah 54, 13 says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. So what Jesus is saying is, what I'm talking about, isn't that mysterious? You kind of already believe it because you believe the prophets and here's what the prophets are saying. But everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. So he restates it. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. So he's, again, dealing with their worldview, because their worldview is no one has ever seen God and lived to talk about it. So he's saying, yeah, you're going to learn from God. Remember Isaiah says you're going to be learned from God, you're going to be drawn from God, you're going to be taught by God, but you're not going to see God, so don't go there. 
Because then you'll, you'll push back on that, and so I'm not saying that. So he's clarifying this idea that there's more, and here's the deal, there's more to the conversation, is what he's telling them, than our conversation. There's more to our discussion and interaction here than just this information going back and forth. And what is that? No one can come to me, i.e. no one accept me, no one can follow me, no one can trust in me, as it said in verse 41, unless the Father who sent me draws him. So there's a spiritual component that's taking place, which means what? You can't see it and you can't hear it, but it's happening. Especially when we talk about the gospel and the things of God. Now Ephesians 6 unpacks that and said, you know, we're spiritual warfare and, you know, at the end of the day, we're fighting against principalities and powers and, you know, whatever, there's spiritual battle going on. But all that to say, in this process here of understanding evangelism, number two on your outline, super critical, leave room for God to work. What he's highlighting here is that God's doing a work and he's going to draw you. And unless he draws you, you can't even come to me. So there's a spiritual side to this that goes beyond whether I dropped out of heaven and you knew my brothers and sisters. There's, there's more to the equation. And this means practically for us, evangelism is more than our ability to convince, defend, or reason with people. Because for someone to become a Christian requires a work of God in their life. So that means it's not all up to you. That means it's not all up to me. Doesn't that help? Doesn't that prevent the panic and oh no, and what did I do wrong? And I better call them back instantly because I... That's all up to me. I like how Paul the Apostle put it. 1 Corinthians 1.20. Who is the one who is wise? Who is this? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. In other words, if you're just going on information based on the world, it's going to seem like folly. And if they're just going to accept it based on information, it's never going to work. But when God's working, he can use even donkeys that talk for his glory. You probably know I'm referring to Balaam's donkey. Sorry, I digress. And I was talking to uh, a fellow PCCer this week, and we were chatting about our adult children. How many of you have had adult children? Okay. So you probably know the dynamic of you invest in your kid. You help raise them spiritually. You think there's a good foundation? We perfect? No. Is there more you could do? Probably. But, you know, when you review, you're, you're getting a B. Maybe not an A, but you're, you're, you're up there somewhere. And then your kids move out and walk away from the Lord. And you go, I thought I did enough. And since this is like baking a cake, I followed the recipe. So shouldn't the cake just rise? 
And those of you who have adult children, you're going, no, doesn't mean that. Comes back to this truth. Why? Because if they're living on the family faith, on the family heritage, because they were raised Amish, I'm using a metaphor, so relax, don't, okay? <laughs> that when they move off the island, all of a sudden, whoa, toasters aren't that bad. <laughs> Makeup isn't that wrong, right? That's how it can be, because remember, it's a family faith until it's personal. So this could just be a journey of a person going from family faith to embracing their own faith as an adult. But either way, God's gotta work. Because no one can come to Jesus unless God is drawing them, convicting them, and it's a process. Well, how long does that process go? I don't know. How long was your labor compared to your labor? Well, I only labored for two hours. Well, I labored for two days. Oh well. Not everyone's the same. But the key is God working. So how do we leave room for God, you ask? Oh, glad you asked. <laughs> a couple things. You don't write them off. You don't put a period. You don't summarize. They're never going to come back. They're never going to, I'm not even talking about kids. My neighbor is never going to listen. I've tried a hundred times and it ain't ever going to happen. My boss is never going to be open. My, you just period it. No, God can do anything. Do you, do you remember somebody else that rejected Jesus, by the way? By a campfire three times? That if we had taken a picture of Peter at that point, and said, is he in or he's out? He's out. But if we put a comma, dot, 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 you never know. When, how, what? Leaves room for God to work. So don't write him off. But secondarily, don't force it. Every time you see him, you gotta just drill it down more. Because you know what? If you just keep going, they'll finally go, I give. And then you wonder why they don't even want to come over the house anymore. Well, why? You're firing Amish bullets at them, right? <laughs> Ultimately, or gospel bullets, that's what we would say. So don't force it, because you can anyway. If it requires the work of God, not your work, then potentially forcing it just thwarts it and makes the labor longer. Third, be prayerful. This is extra, by the way. These are bonus points. They're not in the text. I'm just throwing them out there. Be prayerful. Be praying for people that you're sharing with, that you're talking to, that you're interacting with. And here's the key. And I've kind of alluded to it. Be patient. Be patient. Saul of Tarsus He's never gonna believe. He's the opposite. He's the antichrist. He's killing Christians. He ain't ever gonna be one. You know the story. Road to Damascus, knocked down. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Paul the apostle, ma'am. Wrote half the New Testament. Huh. So you gotta what? Be patient. 
And God can do more than you can summarize or imagine anyway. Doesn't that help? Isn't this so far just like the pressure's a little bit off? Can kind of like, hey, maybe I'll give this thought again. Hope it does. Jesus continues, straight up, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. The application is eternal. The application is individual responsibility. Whoever believes, whoever accepts, appropriates, assimilates, trusts, surrenders, whatever you want to use there to follow, to put it into Jesus, will have eternal life. He said, I am the bread of life. Notice the I. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness, and they died. This is bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die, spiritually speaking, of course. I am the living bread. Here we go again. He mentions it multiple times. That came down from heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, i.e. accepts, partakes, submits. When you think of eating, you've surrendered yourself to something. He will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Hmm. Flesh. We're not talking about bread anymore. Now we're talking about his flesh. And he says that he'll give this for the life of the world. It's a reference to his physical death, i.e. the cross. We'll unpack it more next week. But Jesus is clearly presenting the gospel here, right? And he's talking about spiritual life. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about living forever, which is all pointing to heaven. And he talks about the, the one who believes this, trusts this, will have it. The ones that don't, won't. Believes in bread. What is that? What, what is he saying to believe in? Or better yet, who is he saying to believe in? Himself. Right? He refers to the Old Testament father, but he says they're going to draw him to what? Me. I am the bread. I came down from heaven. If you believe in me, then you'll have eternal life. Third thing, when we're understanding the process of evangelism, keep the focus on Jesus. Keep the focus on Jesus. You might say, well, that's pretty basic. Well, not so much. Focuses can just get right off the track when we start talking about the Lord. And it can have a whole different lane. And before you know it, you find that you're talking about Christianity. You find you're talking about morality, but you're not talking about Jesus. Later in the gospel, Jesus said it this way, I am the way and the truth and the life. Some people come to the Father except no. No one comes to the Father, no one, no one, not a one except through me. Through what? The giving of the flesh through the cross. We'll unpack that more next week. You've probably seen those signs, faith over fear. You seen those signs? Okay. Cool. Don't leave here saying anything's wrong with the sign and Mark was saying those signs are unbiblical because <laughs> I'm not saying that. I would just ask the clarifying question. Faith in what or faith in who? 
Because sometimes even that can be a diversion. Just have faith. It's almost like a greeting that says, think positive. Don't get down in the mush, just think positive. Okay, that's good. I think it's good to think positive. We're supposed to think on things that are praiseworthy, lovely, and that's not a bad thing. But not to the point of denial, obviously, because we've got to face our sin. And so if we never face our sin, then we'll never see our need for a Savior. If we never see our need for a Savior, then we'll never have eternal life because we didn't go through the cross. Okay. I have to give all these disclaimers. <laughs> but here's the deal. We impose or we insert our belief into that sign. Faith over fear. That's cool, man. They're talking about faith in Christ over fear. Well, not necessarily. And this is where we got to be careful because here's how it goes. Often goes. I won't say it goes that way every time. Uh, certainly if I talk to somebody about the Lord, 95% of the time it goes into the direction of church attendance. Yeah, you know, I used to go to church when I was growing up, and I really, you know, there's a little Baptist church down the street from me, and I used to walk there, and my grandpa took me, and, you know, we went, and oh, when I got older, man, I got sidetracked. I really need to get back to church. Wasn't even talking about church. Wasn't even talking about attendance. Was trying to talk about Jesus. Right? Or, you know, um, yeah, I... I I think it's a important. I remember when I went to church, you know, it used to, it used to always challenge me to care for other people and stuff. And so, you know, uh, back then I used to go down to Mexico and we'd go on trips and we would help people build houses down there. And, um, you know, just, just super cool, super fulfilling. And uh, I miss that. I miss that. Where's your church? Right? And so it's, it's all, none of that's wrong. God wants you to go to church when you're a believer, not to become a believer. Uh, caring for those that are less fortunate, 100%. That's all after the fact. That's all after, a, that, doesn't, that doesn't make you a Christian. So we could get diverted from Jesus into the things of Christianity and before you know it, we're talking about, oh, politics. We're talking about helping the needy. We're talking about church attendance. We're talking about, oh, I gave a lot last month to your project. All these things and we, and we leave Jesus out. Super easy to do. So just understand that that's gonna be part of the process. Is going to happen because there'll be a spiritual dynamic that's taking place and to look at the cross means to look at my need for the cross and it's much easier to talk about church than it is about my need for forgiveness. So there's a dynamic there. So it's going to happen and that's why I bring it up is it's just, you know, this is part of the dynamic. Now that to help it, you bring it back to Jesus. Let's go back to Jesus. Let's go back to Jesus. Because Jesus went back to himself over and over and over again. They tried to divert, but he brought it back. First Timothy 2.4 For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for many. Ransom, payment, to get out of jail. Spiritual jail, our sin. Jesus said in, in Mark 10, 45, I have come not to be served as a king, it's not my role, but to serve as a ransom for many. 
I came to pay the price of your sin to incur your judgment so you don't have to. Wow. Who doesn't want that? Why wouldn't you want that? Even if you somewhat partially believe it, what's the downside of that? And you go, there is none. And on this side of the cross, when you're a Christian, you go, I don't get it. Why do people push back? It's a spiritual thing. It's a worldview thing. And it's a process. Think back to your process. Some of you have to think back a ways. 30 years, 40 years. Some of you can think back two years. Last month. Usually involves people. You probably think of their names. Usually involves some situation, could be good or bad. Could be something that really shook you up and wakened you to your mortality. Or it could be something that was casual and somebody just invited you somewhere or whatever and you're exposed and you're hurt. Maybe you didn't immediately respond, probably didn't. And over time, over the labor, over the process, you're born again by the Spirit of God. Love the metaphor, birth, spiritual birth. It's a process. But it ultimately comes down to Jesus. So that means that everybody will have a spiritual birthday. Now don't get too bogged in that. I know some are going, oh, I don't know about my birthday. You know, my friend, he was a drug addict, and so he knew the day he done. I was raised in a Christian home, thought I was born a Christian, so I'm not sure exactly when that happened. It was like 14 or 24 or 44, I'm not exactly. Relax. Okay? Trust me. If I worked with you long enough, we'll find that birthday. Because the Spirit of God, when He invades your life, He changes you. He creates a new, a, a new person. Um, okay, stop, Mark. I'm, gonna go, I'm going on a whole other lane. Okay. So there is a spiritual birthday because we're told that your name is written in the book of life, metaphorically. It's not like He pulls out a pen and where's that big book? Did anybody know where we put it? Oh, there it is, you know. So these are all metaphors for highlighting so we can understand it, we can picture it, right? Because without those, we kind of, just don't get bogged down in them. Anyway, how are we doing? We're called to a process. We're called to be part of other people's process. We're called to make disciples. Don't disqualify yourself in the name of, I'm not experienced. How do you get experience? By doing nothing and saying, I'm not experienced. No, that doesn't work. You get experience by stepping in. Well, it looks hard. Not hard. Well, that's easy for you to say, you do it for a living. No. Here's the deal. And I hate to say this, I probably led more people to Jesus before I was a pastor. Now, does that say something about me? Maybe. 
or my job title that gets in the way. In other words, people can view me and go, you're paid to do it and you're weird. (laughs) Who has your job? Who does that? A pastor. I mean, how many pastors do you literally know? Right? So it can be viewed as super weird and maybe it is weird. Maybe I'm weird. But here's the deal, you're not weird. You're not paid to do it. You have no agenda. You're not trying to grow anything. People will listen to you. They'll engage with you. They avoid me. Before I was a pastor, they didn't avoid me. I I invited all my friends to church. I invited them all to evangelistic things and concerts and they all came Christians. I had no, agenda. I had no congregation. I had no benefit if you came or not. It's on you, bro. I'm just telling you what I found out. I'm telling you what I explored. I'm telling you what Jesus means for me. But it's it's on you. You have that voice. You have that neutral voice. So I just want to encourage you in that as well. But when you use your voice, expect pushback, leave room for God to work, and keep it focused on Jesus. Lord, we thank you for really the example that you set. We see how this crowd had one agenda and you had another one, and yours was based on love and eternity, and theirs was based on here and now, and using you for their goals. And so, Lord, as you challenge them, they push back, and as you highlighted directly that they got to be a work of God in their life for it to even happen, and pointed to yourself. Help us to mirror that, Lord. Help us to keep those principles in mind. And I do pray that you would use us in new and powerful ways, because we're obedient at a minimum to step into making disciples. Don't know exactly what that means or who that would be. And some of us here this morning do. We know exactly who we've written off. We know exactly who we're avoiding because they've pushed back. And so Lord, help us to be part of this process that you've called us to. I know when we are and we experience and are around, people that come to know you. It's so exciting, such a blessing to see the work of the Spirit happen for the first time in somebody's life. Not only that, but their eternities changed. Wow, what a gift we have to offer people. So Lord, as your people, I just pray that you'd work through us to do that offering. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.